want to welcome you back to day five of our look through Matthew chapter 27. We've been looking these last couple of days at what happened the moment that Jesus died and right after he died. Yesterday, we saw the moment he died, the curtain was torn in the temple, the earth shook, the dead were raised, the soldiers gave witness. Today, we're going to look at three more events, and they happened in the hours after Jesus' death. And all of these, all of these events, in these events, you see the proof of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection being looked forward to even before it happens. What do we see? We see some women who are watching. We see a man by the name of Joseph who is doing some burying. And we see some religious leaders who are reacting with, continuing to react with fear. They're fearing. First, you have the women who watched. Listen to verses 55 and 56. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And then down in verse 61, when Jesus is being buried, the scripture says, both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Now question, why do we keep hearing that they're watching? We keep hearing that they're watching because these women are going to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. They saw where he died and they saw where he was buried. And what we're hearing here are some very powerful counters to some of the objections to the resurrection of Christ. If you begin to read those who say that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, there will be reasons that they say this could not have happened, uh, mistakes that could have been made. People know from the study of history that something did happen that day. History changed that day. But maybe it was a lie, they say. Maybe it was a hallucination, they say. Maybe it was a confusion, they say. So all these objections come up. God knew they were going to come up. And so he counters them in advance. One of the objections that comes up is that the women went to the wrong tomb. And so even in advance, we have God putting in his word, knowing this would be an objection thousands of years later, the women knew where the tomb was. They watched him being buried. No mistake was made. They watched him die. They watched him being buried. It's a silly objection. Everybody knew where the tomb was. The leaders knew where the tomb was. They sealed the tomb. Everyone knew where it was. There's also an answer to another objection in these women being set up as the witnesses, being affirmed as the witnesses, because they will be the first witnesses of the resurrection. Another objection is that the disciples just made the story up. If they had made the story up, they would have never said that the women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. In that day, in the first century, women were not seen as credible witnesses. Women were not allowed to testify in a court of law. And so these men in that culture would have never said, well, let's make women, if we're making up a story, let's make the women the first witnesses of the resurrection. No, they would have been the first witnesses. They would have left women out altogether. It would have been impossible for them to think, well, 2,000 years from now, women will be very credible witnesses. They might be even better witnesses than men. Culture will have changed. You can't see outside of your culture. No one can. No, these witnesses, these first women, even beforehand, God is showing them exactly where Jesus died. They're faithful to be there to see where Jesus was buried. And maybe that's part of the reason why God makes sure that they're the first to witness the resurrection, because they've been faithful to see what had been happening all the way through. They are there, and so they are the witnesses. Alongside of these women, we see a man by the name of Joseph, and Joseph buries Jesus. In verses 57 down through verse 60, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who'd become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate 
issued an order and released it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone across the entrance, and he left. Now, you see in this moment the great courage of Joseph. Mark and Luke tell us that Joseph was a member of the council of the Sanhedrin, the body that had condemned Jesus, but he's become a follower of Jesus. And John tells us that Nicodemus, who was also one of the religious leaders, the very Nicodemus who came and spoke to Jesus at the beginning of John and who hears that you have to have new life, a rebirth, unless you're born again, he also helps in this burial. Joseph and Nicodemus, I would have loved to hear their conversations about Jesus as they buried him. Nicodemus may have become a secret disciple by this time. Did they have the same disappointment in Jesus as the other disciples? Did they somehow look forward to the resurrection to the hope? We don't get any answers to these questions until we get to heaven. But for now, there's the fascination of these two men who respected and cared for Jesus enough to be sure that he was buried. Joseph, one of the most powerful businessmen in Jerusalem. Nicodemus, one of the most powerful religious leaders in Jerusalem. Even in his burial, Jesus is attracting people to himself. And even here, as he's being buried, you see another answer to the objection, they made this up. If they'd made this up, the disciples would have not have made a member of the Sanhedrin a hero of the story. They were the ones that condemned Jesus. To them, they were the enemies in this story. But in the depth of how God works, amidst those seeming enemies, there were some early followers of Jesus. Even amidst the Jewish leaders that condemned Jesus, the court of law that did that, they're some of the earliest followers of Jesus. We want to paint things as all black and white. They're the bad guys. They're the good guys. God is working in the hearts of all throughout all of this. Now, there's another objection that's answered here, and that is that somehow when the women went, they confused Jesus's body with someone else's. Sometimes in a tomb, there would be more than one body that was buried. They would be maybe on a shelf, and there'd be maybe a family that was all buried in there. And they thought that Jesus was buried on the, on the right, but he was really on the left. So when they saw an empty shelf on the right, they just confused it. They didn't notice his, his buried body that was on the left. But very clearly here, we're told this was a new tomb that Joseph himself owned. No other body was buried in this tomb. The objection is answered before it's even given. And then number seven of these experiences that happened following the death of Jesus is the reaction of the religious leaders. The leaders feared, and because of their fear, the tomb was sealed. In verse 62 through verse 66, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, and they told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at the first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and they posted guards to protect it. One of the most popular objections to the resurrection of Christ, people saying that it didn't really happen, is that his body was stolen. It was taken by the disciples or someone else out of the tomb. But the tomb was sealed and guarded. You see, in seeking to keep the body from being stolen, these leaders provided powerful proof that his body could not have been stolen. There was a Roman guard. There was a seal on the tomb. The idea that the disciples somehow made all this up, it's pretty silly when you take a deeper look at it. They were devastated and depressed. They were running away. They were not figuring out some plot to start a new religion. And by the way, after 
Christianity started, after they began proclaiming the resurrection, they became persecuted and most of them were martyred. People hold on to lies that benefit them. They don't hold on to lies that don't benefit them. And if it had been a lie, before they were martyred, they would have said, oh, we, we just wanted some popularity. We, we, we just wanted you know, to, to keep on with uh, the people liking us. No, 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 it didn't really happen. But they went to their death proclaiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. When you see all these objections countered even before the resurrection occurs, you know that God is desiring to speak to every one of our hearts. The joy in all of this is going to burst on us in the beginning of the next chapter. But even leading up to the resurrection, God is orchestrating the events to build your faith, to build my faith. There's a personal question in all of this. Am I going to be like the religious leaders, fearing what the resurrection is going to take from me, the life of Christ will take from me? Or am I going to be like the women, waiting for what the resurrection will bring to me? Before you follow Christ, you can fear what Jesus is going to take from you, and you cannot come to him because of that, not knowing the gifts that he wants to give to you, the love and the life that he wants to give to you. And even after you've begun following Christ, you can begin to get caught up in some envy, some jealousy, some sin, some selfishness. And out of that, Satan can plant a seed of fear, and you begin to fear that God wants to take things from you. No, the resurrection is a resurrection to life. He wants to give life to you. It's not the life that this world holds on to. That's passing away. John tells us, don't hold on to that one because it's passing away. No, it's the life that only he can give you. It's resurrection life. And so, Jesus, as we pray, we thank you that you've so clearly laid out in your word the answers to some of the objections that people have that maybe we have about the resurrection so that you can make it clear that you did resurrect a new life. It's not some fable or some nice ending to the story that was made up as a legend. It is the truth. It's the truth that changed history, and it's the truth that changes my heart. It changes my heart when I come to know you, Jesus, and it changes my heart every day as I trust in not the life that this world wants to give to me or even the kind of life that I'm seeking after for myself, but I trust in the kind of life that you want to give me through the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to join us next week. You've made it this far, and we're going to finish our study of Matthew next week with the best ending ever. Even if you know the end of the story, it is an end of the story worth hearing every day of our lives. So I'll see you next week for the end of the book of Matthew, the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm.